The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. The truck driver protests threatening food supply in parts of Australia. Melbourne's road out of lockdown. The Victorian government hints at the first restriction rollbacks. The future of international travel inside the plan to resume overseas flights. And more Paralympic gold for Australia. How two women broke our 37-year table tennis drought. But first, a group of truck drivers is planning to disrupt key supermarket freight routes tomorrow, sparking fears the action could impact food supply. Serena Andaloro is in Sydney tonight. Serena, what are the truckies protesting? And good evening to you. Well, a list of demands is being circulated on social media. Among them, no more forced vaccinations for truck drivers and no more mandatory testing. But they're also asking for no more masks. Now, we have seen ma um, maps of the action that is being uh, planned for tomorrow. We can tell you key freight routes around the country are being targeted with a particular focus on what's called the food bowl in southern New South Wales. This is the area where most of Australia food for our supermarket shelves is grown. Key trade routes in and out of that area are being singled out to cause maximum disruption. And we had a little bit of, of a taste of that today on the border with Queensland. The Pacific Highway was brought to a standstill. Take a listen. We want to end these, these lockdowns. We don't want forced vaccinations and those types of things. And we want to be able to just open up the country, learn to live with the virus. At our end, you go, how many people have to sacrifice their beliefs and their choice of not getting the vaccine? The lockdowns and the, you know, the, and, and, you know, the masks, the, you know, the testing for the, the, these truck drivers every two, three days, goodness, you know, it's, it's got to end. Serena, there is some good news. There are hopes that several local government areas in Sydney could be freed from the harshest restrictions. Yeah, and the Premier has flagged that, but she hasn't revealed which ones. Judging by the case numbers, though, the Georges River, the uh, Bayside local government area and uh, the Burwood local government areas are the first in line, given their case numbers are relatively low. We have heard the Burwood Mayor over the past couple of days being quite vocal on the issue. They've only seen six cases in the past week. But remember, uh, the Georges River local government area has been promised a relaxing of restrictions for weeks now and we haven't seen anything change there but we have seen another record another record day of case numbers 1290 cases the numbers are more and more alarming by the day they are but those vaccination numbers are also increasing thanks so much Serena and Aloro in Sydney for us 25 days into Melbourne's lockdown, public health officials are reportedly discussing which restrictions could be eased first. Tegan Doling is live for us in Melbourne tonight. Tegan, this is despite many unlinked cases today. What could change first? Well, Anja, Chief Health Officer has said that everything's up for review after a concession today that it's unlikely we're going to reach zero COVID cases. A couple of the rules that we believe are likely to change is that playgrounds will reopen and they're also likely to scrap the 9pm curfew. We've been told that it's also likely they're going to isolate certain council areas that have been at known COVID hotspots, but obviously the big push here in Victoria is to reopen our schools. Now, of today's COVID cases, 
cases, 21 are not linked to outbreaks and as few as 24 were in isolation. Now we know that the easing of these restrictions is going to largely uh, be centred around the number of vaccinations and that fully vaxxed people are going to get a little bit more freedom than others. At the moment, 34% of Victorians over 16 are currently fully vaxxed and Anne, just likely we're going to hit that 70% target by around the end of October. Like the sound of that, Antigone, a heartbroken family is begging for some compassion from authorities. That's right, Ange. Jodie DeGill uh, and her husband have just had a little baby. Now, this is uh, Myla. She's only one week old and she's actually got a terminal illness. Now, they want to be able to uh, let Myla meet her older brother and sister, but unfortunately, she's currently in the Royal Women's Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Now, they've requested a compassionate exemption, but that unfortunately was denied, and that's because they're only granted for an end-of-life reason. And uh, at the moment, Myla is currently listed as stable. What they are hoping for, Ange, is a little bit of leeway because they want to be able to enjoy this time as a family of five. And as you can imagine, time is very precious to them at the moment. Absolutely. Just heartbreaking. Thanks so much, Tegan Doling in Melbourne for us. The Treasurer has warned Australia could slip back into recession if premiers don't stick to the plan to reopen. Political reporter Rob Scott is standing by in Canberra. Rob, how much could these rogue states hurt the economy? Well, if you ask Josh Frydenberg, and very badly. Trying to get the plan back on track, he's now called on big business and industry leaders to use their considerable sway as major employers to pressure the states and territories to stick to the national agreement to reopen once 70 to 80% of the population is vaccinated. He says if borders don't open, jobs will be lost, businesses will fold and the economy could slip back into another recession. But West Australian Premier Mark McGowan argues even at 70% vaccination levels. Opening up to the rest of Australia would see infections skyrocket in WA and that would not only put lives in danger but also the state's mining industry which he says has been keeping the rest of the country afloat. Lockdowns do need to end and future lockdowns do need to be avoided Mr Speaker. The idea that we somehow deliberately infect ourselves is completely and utterly insane. The West Australian taxpayers are keeping the Commonwealth Government and New South Wales alive. Perhaps instead of, instead of attacking us, they should show a bit of gratitude and appreciation. So Mark McGowan says he's not prepared to infect his state and there are now real concerns WA hospitals wouldn't cope with an outbreak. Yeah, right now WA is virtually COVID-free, but up to 800 elective surgeries a month are set to be cancelled. The government says that's to take pressure off public hospital emergency departments, created in part by workforce shortages. But the Australian Medical Association says chronic underfunding has left the system on its knees, warning a COVID outbreak would be disastrous for the state. Nationally, though, Scott Morrison says we will be OK, and planning is already underway for a surge in cases over the coming months as lockdowns are lifted and infections, especially among the unvaccinated, begin to rise. OK, Rob Scott in Canberra for us. Thank you. Let's check in on how we're tracking with those vaccination targets around the country. In the past 24 hours, we've set a Sunday record of over 158,000 vaccines administered in Australia, taking our total to over 19 million. At the current rate, 70% of the population will be vaccinated in 61 days on the 30th of October. And we're accelerating towards that all-important 80% target, which will likely hit in 78 days on the 6th 
16th of November. A police officer is right now recovering in hospital after he was hit by a stolen car during a chase in the New South Wales Snowy Mountains. The pursuit happened around 8pm near Cooma. The constable was airlifted to Canberra in a stable condition with serious head injuries. Two soldiers have died in a crash during a military exercise in northeastern Queensland. Elliot Chipper is live for us in Townsville. Elliot, what are the details? Good evening, Andrew. Well, the details are very much still coming in, but what we do know so far is that these two soldiers were part of the 7th Combat Brigade, which is based in Brisbane. They were up here in Townsville taking part in Exercise Diamond Dagger 2021, which began on Friday. Now, they were travelling on a public road in a heavy-duty multi-purpose truck in the Townsville Field Training Area, which is near Dotswood, about an hour and 45 minutes south of Townsville. Just before one o'clock, that truck rolled and the two men became, the two soldiers, sorry, became trapped inside the vehicle. Despite emergency services and the best efforts of their fellow soldiers, sadly they were pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, Defence Minister Peter Dutton made these comments on the floor of Parliament during question time this afternoon. There are movements uh, on the day, on the road every day, and uh, it is a very dangerous task that uh, our troops are involved in, even during training exercises and the movement of equipment uh, up and down uh, our national highways. This is a tragic loss for people wearing our uniform, uh, serving our nation and defending our people. Now, late this evening, Chief of the Army, Lieutenant General Rick Burr made this statement. This is a tragic accident and our deepest sympathies go to the families and loved ones of our soldiers. We ask for you respect their privacy during this difficult time. Now, that major road was closed for several hours this afternoon and for several kilometres um, as police and uh, forensic crash unit investigated that scene. Uh, the Defence Department and Queensland Police will continue uh, to work there to determine exactly how this tragic accident unfolded. Ange? OK. Elliot Chipper, thanks so much. And ADF members and their families who need assistance can call the Defence All Hours support line on 1800 628 036. A woman has given birth on an evacuation flight out of Afghanistan. The 26-year-old mother managed to board a Turkish Airlines flight to the UK when she went into labour. At 13,000 feet in airspace over Kuwait, her baby girl was born. Both mother and baby are reportedly doing well and are now safe in Birmingham. Islamic State has claimed responsibility tonight for a foiled rocket attack on Kabul airport hours before tomorrow's official US withdrawal from Afghanistan. Anti-missile defences stopped as many as five rockets fired from the back of a car. Meantime, President Biden has honoured the 13 soldiers killed in a suicide bombing after their remains were flown home. Virgin Australia has become the latest company to mandate staff vaccinations. Finance editor Gemma Acton joins me now with more. Gemma, what do we know about this move? Well, Virgin's looking at a similar timeline to Qantas. They want all of their frontline staff vaccinated by mid-November and then their broader office staff done by March next year. They say that already three in four of their frontline staff have had at least one vaccination, so not a huge jump to get everybody there, although the, the numbers for the office-based staff is quite a bit lower. 
and other unions got very upset with Qantas for not consulting with them enough in advance. So Virgin has said it will start consultations with the unions uh, later this week as well as its employees. Just talking about international travel is exciting, <laughs> but how difficult is it going to be for these airlines to get everything back up and running? Yeah, well, a lot of their staff who they stood down over the last 18 months have gone and found other jobs elsewhere. Of course, they've had to. Uh, so often that's with big employers such as Woolworths or Australia Post, which have seen their demand surge over that period. So it's certainly not a matter of calling up an employee and saying, great news, you're back on the job tomorrow. Uh, employers will have to have some time to decide if they actually want to go back and which career path they do want to take. But once they do come back, there is uh, a retraining element of the program. At Qantas, pilots who haven't been flying are still needed need to do a simulation, a flight simulation every 90 days and then once they do come back on full time they need to do an intensive flight simulation and their first flight has to be with a pilot who has been flying consistently. Uh, when it comes to cabin crew at Qantas it's a few days of regulatory training and then a few days of protocol and health training so a bit of work for both of them and they also need to get the airlines flight worthy and ready to do their trips as well. Yeah absolutely. Now this December goal <laughs> how realistic is it? Tell me it's very realistic. <laughs> well it's certainly not the first date that Qantas has mm. offered to us. Um, they said July which has just gone past, October which is looming uh, and now they're saying December. We do have some reason to think that this is a bit more uh, of a possibility because they have tied it explicitly to the government's phased reopening plans. So the government has said when we hit an 80% vaccination rate across the country, we will gradually reopen international borders. Qantas thinks we'll get there by mid-December when it wants to start flying again, which is not crazy when you look at forecasts more generally. We're hearing a lot of talk about 70% by November, so if we can get an extra 10% by then, then it uh, looks okay. But because it does take a while for airlines to spring back, you understand why Qantas wants to put a stake in the ground and have a, a date to work towards. Okay, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Ange. Joe Biden has declared a major disaster after Hurricane Ida slammed the US state of Louisiana before being downgraded to a tropical storm. NBC correspondent Jay Gray is in New Orleans. Jay, what is the latest there? And uh, the destruction here is severe and widespread across the entire New Orleans metro area. We want to give you a look at a little of it here in the French Quarter. And you can see a rooftop that was pulled from a building here, thrown to the ground, pulling down with it a traffic light, a traffic sign. You can see the arm that held that up. It's mangled, twisted, and pulled to the ground. And as you work your way up that arm, you can see the balcony here where the shutter was ripped off by the wind. The doors have been pushed open. You've got shattered windows all across the French Quarter and all across the region, to be real honest. Windows that were blown out by the extreme winds that came with Hurricane Ida here. Power outage is a big concern right now. The entire New Orleans metro area, more than a million people without power at this point, and it's going to be a while before they have electricity. The main transfer lines that bring that electricity into the city they're in the Mississippi River right now, extracting them, repairing them. That's going to be a difficult task, and I'm afraid it's going to take some time. It's hot, it's humid here in New Orleans, so as we get into the day, that's going to be something that survivors here have to struggle with. We know that one person has died at this point as a result of this storm, but so many are homeless at this point. We have flooding in some of the areas here. It's just going to be a tough go for a long time. And Jay, this storm comes exactly 16 years since Hurricane Katrina just devastated that city. 
No, you're absolutely right. With Katrina, it was the water. The levees gave way and water flooded this entire region. You had more than a thousand people die as a result of that. With Ida, it's definitely the winds, severe winds, very strong winds, some of the strongest I've been in. I've covered a few of these storms and also sustained winds. I, I mean, they were gusting at those extreme levels for hours here, and that leaves behind what we have behind us here. You can see also the cars starting to funnel through as the sun's come up here. We've got people out, people who rode this thing out and, and taking a look at what's left of their city. When you talk to some of them, they'll tell you they're overwhelmed by what they're seeing right now. Mm, okay. Jay Gray, thanks so much as always in New Orleans for us. Thank you. Our table tennis Paralympians are on a roll in Tokyo tonight, winning two gold medals within an hour. Chinese-born athletes Lena Lei and Yang Chen took out their respective table tennis finals, both representing Australia for the first time at a Games. I'm proud of myself, yeah. Also Australia, yeah. Tell me about your Aussie teammates that were cheering you on. Yeah. How's it been being part of this team? Yes, it's... We are... Like a family, and uh, everyone, yeah, to uh, like the family. So we very c close. Now, Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Andrew. Green was the colour today, although here at home, our local markets only squeaked through to a positive close thanks to a strong performance from our mining heavyweights. Wall Street is set for a mildly higher open. That's after it cracked fresh record highs again, following Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's indication that interest rate hikes are not imminent. With Hurricane Ida ravaging the southern US, the prospect of supply disruptions is looming large. Production has already been cut back, boosting the oil price. And it wasn't just US shares, but the Aussie dollar also shot high in the wake of Jerome Powell's speech. It's now fading slightly from 73 US cents. And Thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Goodbye. <laughs>